section fifteen of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter two part nine vernacular language and literature a d ten sixty six to twelve sixteen from the norman conquest to the termination of the reign of the seventh norman sovereign king john is almost exactly a century and a half even to a day the victory of hastings was gained on the fourteenth of october ten sixty six and john died on the nineteenth of october twelve sixteen his death happening at the time it did was probably an event of the greatest importance the political constitution or system of government established by the conquest a system of pure monarchy or absolutism had been formally brought to an end the year before by the grant of the great charter wrung from the crown by the baronage which at any rate tempered the monarchical despotism by the introduction of the aristocratic element into the theory of the constitution but this might have proved little more than a theoretical or nominal innovation if john had lived his death and the non-age of his son and heir left the actual management of affairs in the hands of those by whom the constitutional reform had been brought about and that reform became a practical reality at the least its legal character and authority never were disputed no attempt ever was made to repeal it on the contrary it was ratified no less than six times in the single reign of henry the third john's successor and it has retained its proper place at the head of the statute-book down to our own day its proper place for it is indeed our first organic law the true commencement or foundation stone of the constitution before it there was no mechanism in our political system no balance of forces or play of counteracting elements and tendencies nothing but the sort of life and movement that may belong to a stone or a cannon-ball or any other mere mass the royal power was all in all with the charter and the death of the last despotic king from whom it was extorted begins another order of things both political and social it may be likened to the passing away of the night and the dawning of a new day in particular the charter may be said to have consummated by a solemn legislative fiat the blending and incorporation of the two races the conquerors and the conquered which had been actively going on without any such sanction and under the natural influence of circumstances only throughout the preceding half-century having commenced we may reckon perhaps half a century earlier or about the middle of the reign of henry i there is at least not a word in this law making the least reference to any distinction between the two races both are spoken of throughout only as english the nation is again recognized as one as fully as it had been before either william the norman or canute the dane we have thus four successive periods of about half a century each the first from the danish to the norman conquest half english half danish the second from the norman conquest to the middle of the reign of henry i in which the subjugated english and their french or norman rulers were completely divided the third and fourth extending to the date of magna carta and presenting the former the comparatively slow the latter the accelerated process of the intermixture and fusion of the two races some of our old chroniclers would make the third half-century also as well as the first and second to have been 
inaugurated by a great constitutional or political event as the year ten sixteen is memorable for the danish and the year ten sixty six for the norman conquest so in eleven sixteen we are told by stowe on the nineteenth day of april king henry called a council of all the states of his realm both of the prelates nobles and commons to salisbury there to consult for the good government of the commonwealth and the weighty affairs of the same which council taking the name and fame of the french is called a parliament and this he adds to the historiographers note to be the first parliament in england and that the kings before that time were never wont to call any of their commons or people to council or law-making this theory of the origin of our parliamentary government must indeed be rejected but the year eleven sixteen will still remain notable as that in which henry reversing what had been done fifty years before across the sea with an army of english to reduce his ancestral normandy or prevent it from falling into the hands of the son of his unfortunate elder brother even the next stage half a century further on when we have supposed the amalgamation of the two races to have assumed its accelerated movement may be held to be less precisely indicated by such events as the appointment of becket said to be the first englishman since the conquest promoted to high office either in the church or the state to the archbishopric of canterbury in eleven sixty one the enactment in eleven sixty four of the constitutions of clarendon by which the clergy a body essentially foreign in feeling and to a great extent even of foreign birth were brought somewhat more under subjection to the law of the land and the conquest of ireland in eleven seventy two to the vast exaltation of the english name and power what was the history of the vernacular language for this first century and a half after the norman conquest throughout which everything native would thus seem to have been in a course of gradual re-emergence from the general foreign inundation that had overwhelmed the country we have no historical record or statement as to this matter the question can only be answered in so far as it can be answered at all from an examination of such compositions of the time in the vernacular tongue as may have come down to us the principal literature of this period it will have been seen from the above notices was in the latin and french languages in the former were written most works on subjects of theology philosophy and history in the latter most of those intended rather to amuse than to inform and address not to students and professional readers but to the idlers of the court and the upper classes by whom they were seldom actually read or much expected to be read but only listened to as they were recited or chanted for most of them were in verse by others how far over society such a knowledge of the imported tongue came to extend as was requisite for the understanding and enjoyment of what was thus written in it has been matter of dispute the abbe de la rue conceives that a large proportion even of the middle classes and of the town population generally must have been so far frenchified but later authorities look upon this as an extravagant supposition it is at all events this french literature only that is to be considered as having come into competition with or to have taken the place of the old vernacular literature the employment of the latin language in writing by monks secular churchmen and other persons who had had a learned education was what had always gone on in england as in every other country of western christendom there was nothing new in that we continue to have it after the conquest just as we had it before the conquest but it is quite otherwise with the writing of french that was altogether a new thing in england and indeed very much of a new thing everywhere in the eleventh century no specimen of composition in the langue dure in fact either in verse or in prose has come down to us from beyond that century nor is there reason to believe that it had been much earlier turned 
to account for literary purposes even in france itself the great mass of the oldest french literature that has been preserved was produced in england or at any rate in the dominions of the king of england in the twelfth century to whatever portion of society in england an acquaintance with this french literature was confined it is evident that it was for some time after the conquest the only literature of the day that without addressing itself exclusively to the learned classes still demanded some measure of cultivation in its readers or auditors as well as in its authors it was the only popular literature that was not adapted to the mere populace we might infer this even from the fact that if any other ever existed it has mostly perished the various metrical chronicles romances and other compositions in the french tongue of the principle of which an account has been given are very nearly the only literary works which have come down to us from this age and while the mass of this produce that has been preserved is as we have seen very considerable we have distinct notices of much more which is now lost how the french language should have acquired the position which it thus appears to have held in england for some time after the conquest is easily explained the advantage which it derived from being the language of the court of the entire body of the nobility and of the opulent and influential classes generally is obvious this not only gave it the prestige and attraction of what we now call fashion but in the circumstances to which the country was reduced would very speedily make it the only language in which any kind of regular or grammatical training could be obtained with the native population almost everywhere deprived of its natural leaders the old landed proprietary of its own blood it cannot be supposed that schools in which the reading and writing of the vernacular tongue was taught could continue to subsist this has been often pointed out but what we may call the social cause or that arising out of the relative conditions of the two races was probably assisted by another which has not been so much attended to the languages themselves did not compete upon fair terms the french would have in the general estimation a decided advantage for the purposes of literature over the english the latter was held universally to be merely a barbarous form of speech claiming kindred with nothing except the other half-articulate dialects of the woods hardly one of which had ever known what it was to have any acquaintance with letters or was conceived even by those who spoke it to be fit to be used in writing except on the most vulgar occasions or where anything like either dignity or position of expression was of no importance the former although somewhat soiled and disfigured by ill-usage received at the hands of the uneducated multitude and also only recently much employed in formal or artistic eloquence could still boast the most honourable of all pedigrees as a daughter of the latin and was thus besides allied to the popular speech of every more civilised province of western christendom the very name by which it had been known when it first attracted attention with reference to its literary capabilities was as we have seen the rustic latin or roman langua romana rustica even without being favoured by circumstances as it was in the present case a tongue having these intrinsic recommendations would not have been easily worsted in a contest for the preference as the organ of fashionable literature by such a competitor as the unknown and unconnected english there was only one great advantage possessed by the national tongue with which it was impossible for the other in the long run to cope this was the fact of its being the national tongue the speech and actual and ancestral of the great body of the people even that indeed might not have enabled it to maintain its ground if it had been a mere unwritten form of speech but it had been cultivated and trained for centuries both by the practice of composition in prose as well as in verse and by the application to it of the art of the grammarian it already possessed a literature considerable in volume and embracing a variety of departments it was not merely something floating upon men's breath 
but had a substantial existence in poems and histories and libraries and parchments in that state it might cease in the storm of national calamity to be generally either written or read but even its more literary inflections and constructions would be less likely to fall into complete and universal oblivion the memory at least of its old renown would not altogether die away and that alone would be found to be much when after a time it began to be again although in a somewhat altered form employed in writing the nature of the altered form which distinguishes the written vernacular tongue when it reappears after the norman conquest from the aspect it presents before that date or the earliest modern english from what is commonly designated saxon or anglo-saxon is not matter of dispute the substance of the change to adopt the words of mr price the late learned editor of wharton is admitted on all hands to consist in the suppression of those grammatical intricacies occasioned by the inflection of nouns the seemingly arbitrary distinctions of gender the government of prepositions etc it was in fact the conversion of an inflectional into a non-inflectional of a synthetic into an analytic language the syntactical connection of words and the modification of the mental conceptions which they represent was indicated no longer in general by those variations which constitute what are called declensions and conjugation but by separate particles or simply by juxtaposition and whatever seemed to admit of being neglected without injury to the prime object of expressing the meaning of the speaker or writer no matter what other purpose it might serve of a merely ornamental or artistic nature was ruthlessly dispensed with a change such as this is unquestionably the breaking up of a language in the first instance at least it amounts to the destruction of much that is most characteristic of the language of all that constitutes its beauty to the educated mind imbued with a feeling for the literature into which it has been wrought of something probably even of its precision as well as of its expressiveness in a higher sense it is become in a manner but the skeleton of what it was or the skeleton with only the skin hanging loose upon it all the covering and rounding flesh gone or we may say it is the language no longer with its old natural bearing and suitable attire but reduced to the rags and squalor of a beggar or it may be compared to a material edifice once bright with many of the attractions of decorative architecture now stripped of all its splendor and left only a collection of bare and dilapidated walls it may be too that as is commonly assumed a synthetic tongue is essentially a nobler and more effective instrument of expression than an analytic one that often comprising a whole sentence or at least a whole clause in a word it presents thoughts and emotions in flashes and pictures where the other can only employ comparatively dead conventional signs but perhaps the comparison has been too commonly made between the synthetic tongue in its perfection and the analytic one while only in its rudimentary state the language may be considered to have changed its constitution somewhat like a country which should have ceased to be a monarchy and become a republic the new political system could only be fairly compared with the old one and the balance struck between the advantages of the one and those of the other after the former should have had time fully to develop itself under the operation of its own peculiar principles even if it be inferior upon the whole and for the highest purposes an analytic language may perhaps have some recommendations which a synthetic one does not possess it may not be either more natural or properly speaking more simple for the original constitution of most if not of all languages seems to have been synthetic and a synthetic language is as easy both to acquire and to wield as an analytic one to those to whom it is native nor can the latter be said to be more rational or philosophical than the former for as being in the main natural products and not artificial contrivances languages must be held to stand all 
on an equality in respect of the reasonableness at least of the principle on which they are constituted but yet if comparatively defective in poetical expressiveness analytic languages will probably be found whenever they have been sufficiently cultivated to be capable in pure exposition of rendering thought with superior minuteness and distinctness of detail with their small tenacity or cohesion they penetrate into every chink and fold like water or fine dust but the great question in every case of the apparent conversion of a synthetic into an analytic language is how or under the operation of what cause or causes the change was brought about in the particular case before us for instance what was it that converted the form of our vernacular tongue which we find alone employed in writing before the norman conquest into the comparatively uninflected form in which it appears in the generality of the compositions which have come down to us from the first ages after that great political and social catastrophe first however we may remark that there is no proof of the latter form having been really new or of recent origin about the time of the conquest all that we can assert is that soon after that date it first appears in writing if it was ever so employed before no earlier specimens of it have been preserved it was undoubtedly the form of the language popularly in use at the time when it thus first presents itself in our national literature but did it not exist as an oral dialect long before may it not have so existed from the remotest antiquity alongside of the more artificial form which was exclusively or at least usually employed in writing it has been supposed that even the classical greek and latin such as we find in books may have always been accompanied each by another form of speech of looser texture and probably more of an analytical character which served for the ordinary oral intercourse of the less educated population and of which it has even been conjectured we may have some much disguised vestige or resemblance in the modern romaic and italian the rise at any rate of what was long a merely oral dialect into a language capable of being employed in literature and of thereby being gradually so trained and improved as to supplant and take the place of the ancient more highly inflected and otherwise more artificial literary language of the country is illustrated by what is known to have happened in france and other continental provinces of the old empire of the west where the romana rustica as it was called which was a corrupted or broken-down form of the proper latin after having been for some centuries only orally used came to be written as well as spoken and having been first taken into the service of the more popular kinds of literature ended by becoming the language of all literature and the only national speech so in this country there may possibly have been in use for colloquial purposes a dialect of a similar character to our modern analytic english even from the earliest days of the old synthetic english and the two forms of the language the regular and the irregular the learned and the vulgar the mother and the daughter or rather if you will the elder and the younger sister may have subsisted together for many centuries till there came a crisis which for a time laid the entire fabric of the old national civilization in the dust when the rude and hardy character of the one carried it through the storm which the more delicate structure of the other could not stand or was the written english of the twelfth and thirteenth centuries the same english or anglo-saxon that was written in the ninth and tenth only modified by that process of gradual change the principle of which was inherent in the constitution of the language was the former neither the sister nor the daughter of the latter but the latter merely at a different stage of its natural growth this is the view that has been maintained by some eminent authorities the late mr price acknowledging it to be a matter beyond dispute that some change had taken place in the style of composition and general structure of the language from the end of the ninth to the end of the twelfth century adds 
but that these mutations were a consequence of the norman invasion or were even accelerated by that event is wholly incapable of proof and nothing is supported upon a firmer principle of rational induction than that the same effects would have ensued if william and his followers had remained in their native soil the changes we have seen may be said to have amounted to the transformation of the language from one of a synthetic to one of an analytic constitution or structure but mr price contends that whether it is to be considered as the result of an innate law of the language or of some general law in the organization of those who spoke it its having been in no way dependent upon external circumstances upon foreign influence or political disturbances is established by the undeniable fact that every other language of the low german stock displays the same simplification of its grammar in all these languages he observes there has been a constant tendency to relieve themselves of that precision which chooses a fresh symbol for every shade of meaning to lessen the amount of nice distinctions and detect as it were a royal road to the interchange of opinion yet in thus diminishing their grammatical forms and simplifying their rules in this common effort to evince a striking contrast to the usual effects of civilization all confusion has been prevented by the very manner in which the operation has been conducted for the revolution produced has been so gradual in its progress that it is only to be discovered on a comparison of the respective languages at periods of a considerable interval the interval that mr price has taken in the present case is certainly wide enough what has to be explained is the difference that we find between the written english of the middle of the twelfth century and that not of the age of alfred or the end of the ninth century but rather of the end of the eleventh the question is how we are to account for a great change which would appear to have taken place in the language as employed for literary purposes not in three centuries but in one century or even in half a century the english of alfred continues to be in all respects the english of alfred who lived and wrote more than a century later the national chronicle still written substantially in the old language comes down even to the year eleven fifty four it is probable that we have here the continued employment for the sake of uniformity of an idiom which had now become antique or what is called dead but there is certainly no evidence or trace of any other form of the national speech having ever been used in writing before the year eleven hundred at the earliest the overthrow of the native government and civilization by the conquest in the latter part of the eleventh century would not of course extinguish the knowledge of the old literary language of the countries till after the lapse of about a generation we may fairly then regard the change in question as having taken place in all probability not in three centuries as mr price puts the case but within at most the third part of that space this correction while it brings the breaking up of the language into close connection in point of time with the social revolution gives it also much more of a sudden and convulsionary character than it has in mr price's representation the gradual and gentle flow assumed to have extended over three centuries turns out to have been really a rapid precipitous descent something almost of the nature of a cataract effected possibly within the sixth or eighth part of that space of time it may be that there is a tendency in certain languages or in all languages to undergo a similar simplification of their grammar to that which the english underwent at this crisis and it is conceivable that such a tendency constantly operating unchecked may at last produce such a change as we have in the present case the conversion of the language from one of a synthetic to one of an analytic structure that may have happened with those other languages of the low germanic stock to which mr price refers but such was certainly not the case with the english we have that language distinctly before us for three or four centuries during which it is not pretended that there is to be detected a trace of the operation of any such tendency 
the tendency therefore either did not exist or must have been rendered inoperative by some counteracting influence if on the other hand we are to suppose that in our own or in any other language the tendency suddenly developed itself or became active at a particular moment that would necessarily imply the very operation of a new external cause which mr price's theory denies it is no matter whether we may or may not be able to point out the cause that a cause there must have been is unquestionable in the case before us the cause is sufficiently obvious the integrity of the constitution or grammatical system of the language which was preserved so long as its literature flourished when that ceased to be read and studied and produced the grammatical cultivation and knowledge of the language also ceased the two things indeed were really one and the same the literature and the literary form of the language could not but live and die together whatever killed the one was sure also to blight the other and what was it that did or could bring the native literature of england suddenly to an end in the eleventh or twelfth century except the new political and social circumstances in which the country was then placed what other than such a cause ever extinguished in any country the light of its ancient literature of at least two similar cases we have a perfect knowledge how long did the classical latin continue to be a living language just so long as the fabric of latin civilization in the western empire continued to exist so long and no longer when that was overthrown the literature which was its product and exponent its expression and in a manner its very soul and the highly artificial form of language which was the material in which that literature was wrought were both at once struck with a mortal disease under which they perished almost with the generation that had witnessed the consummation of the barbaric invasion exactly similar is the history of the classic greek only that it continued to exist as a living language for a thousand years after the latin the social system with which it was bound up of which it was part and parcel lasting so much longer when that fell with the fall of the eastern empire in the fifteenth century the language also became extinct the ancient greek gave place to the modern greek or what is called the romaic the conquest of constantinople by the turks was to the greek language the same thing that the norman conquest was to the english End of section fifteen